Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Great beer is about drinkability. Doesn't matter the style. You guys are like walking beer Wikipedia. That's the first time that you've ever accepted me as a person. Or you have a fermentation in your gut. I'm jet propelled at all times. (laughs) How many guys do you think that you have the privilege to slap? Somebody who's never tasted a commercial example. And this is how you know everything about this beer? Please, you don't. I think it's bullshit. (laughs) I think it's bullshit, too. Wow. Are you guys going to arm wrestle? No. No. We're going to teabag fight. You heard of Junkyard Wars? Can I get another high five, Beavis? (laughs) Now, live from the Brewing Network Studios in Northern California, this is the radio program for home brewers, craft brewers, beer lovers, and beer geeks. It's your only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers together with, well, expert drinkers. This is the radio program with a head on it. This is The Session. Hey, it's The Session, everyone. Welcome back. It's Monday night. It's time to talk, well, I was going to say beer, but today we're not talking about beer. We're talking about cider. We're here with Dave Takish from Two Towns Cider up in beautiful, sunny, sometimes on fire, Oregon. Dave, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. <laughs> I, I'm stoked to be here. Uh, currently not on fire right now. Thank uh, you. I guess part, parts of Oregon are. Uh, we... This year, luckily, uh, missing that smoke, which is great. Uh, I think a lot of the winemakers are happy, at least in the northern part of the valley. Um, you know, they're still having some smoke problems down in southern Oregon, which is a bummer. But, um, you know, every day they're getting better and better at dealing with smoke taint, too. So, yeah, well, can only... You actually unloaded a lot right there. That's a good, uh, <laughs> that's a lot of information, man. Because, you know, it's, yeah, I was, I was talking with... Uh, with another, who was I talking with? Another brewery, I think, last week or whatever. And I was like, basically, Oregon is just Northern California now because California is constantly on fire. It never goes out. It's like the tire fire in The Simpsons. It just doesn't, yep. it doesn't stop. Um, and then I got a lot of shit for saying that. So <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Um, how is smoke taint uh, dealt with on the cider side? I mean, I know on the wine side, it's an issue. And 
some yeah. wineries deal with it well and some don't. Some think it's an issue and some don't. And it's just, it sort of just depends, I guess, on personal preference. But like, how yeah. do you guys deal with something like that? Yeah, you know, I, that's a really good, good topic. I think it is, we're still um, kind of really finding out in today's world um, because it just hasn't been an issue in the past. Um, but uh, so far, I think anecdotally, uh, it hasn't been an issue in the cider industry. I think nice. maybe a couple people doing some uh, very specific small batch kind of things might might see it if the fire is really just next door to their orchard. Uh, in the past couple of years, I've heard a few anecdotes too of uh, you know when we had so much smoke blocking out the sun for so long a lot of trees started shutting down and losing their leaves and dropping fruit wow um yeah so i mean you know that but that's in very very extreme circumstances uh right near fires yeah um but you know i think when you go and you kind of look at it objectively you know grapes uh there is so much surface area compared to um like liquid inside the grape and then also mm -hmm. you've got a very um porous uh, skin on the grapes and so when you look at an apple right you've got all this volume um you know the bigger the sphere uh the less surface area to volume in the inside so you know um also uh, apples kind of have this waxy uh, skin. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's also not as thick as in wine grape varieties. So that's why they kind of tend to see it in the wine world and reds, especially because that smoke mm -hmm. latches on and on that skin. Um, mm -hmm. and then you've got so much skin content in your fermentation, whereas oh, for right. apples, right. It's just this thin skin that's waxy, and then you're pressing them very quickly. You're getting that juice out. Mm -hmm. um, and it just doesn't seem to be an issue, whether you're talking about the juice side or in the final like fermented product. Yeah, I didn't think about the, the red specifically like that because what is that extended maceration, I think is the term for that, where they're like yeah. fermenting well, on the skins and doing that. And whites, you don't really do that a whole lot. Correct. Yeah. Right. So mm, for white winemaking, you're just pressing those grapes and fermenting the white juice. Whereas red winemaking, you're grinding up those skins. You want all that skin contact because mm -hmm. that's how you extract the color during fermentation yeah. and a lot of those tannins, anthocyanins. So um, you're also extracting potentially a lot of smoke taint too when you do that. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. But apples, yeah. different animal. You don't have to worry about it. Hasn't Lucky. been an issue, luckily. Yeah. You know, we're very thankful for that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Where exactly in Oregon are you guys? So we're in Corvallis, which is uh, considered like mid-valley, central valley. Okay. Um, you know, we're kind of uh, two hours south of Portland, mm -hmm. uh, hour north of Eugene. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of great wineries just right near us. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, up and down the valley, you've got a lot of spots for for great great winemaking and um yeah. nowadays a lot of great cider too yeah absolutely which i'm a big cider guy and maybe not as, as big as i should be <laughs> or you know i don't know if that uh conjures up a different image where it's like i love cider but i don't really drink it a whole lot because down here at least there's not a there's not a ton and if yeah. there is it's sort of like this is sugar water because this is what whoever makes it thinks that cider should be um, but what I, I really do appreciate about 
about your ciders is that they're they're not that way. They're they're I don't know I don't say fruit forward like apple expressive or you know some other sort yeah. of term like that. You do get a lot of quality coming through from the 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 apple juice from how you guys are handling it, and you are putting sort of like a modern spin on it. I think with additions of other juices and kind of trying to be fun with cider um, yeah. instead of like, cause I mean, I love like a English cider. I love a strong bow after saying all of that about, about sweet ass ciders, yeah. give me a strong bow and I will just, I'll, I'll, I'll die happy. Yeah. It's just weird. I don't know what it is, but in American ciders, I, I don't know. I like a lot of that flavor. Yeah. You know um, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there with that phrase of like what cider should be. And I think we need to back that up one step. And you, you first got to say, okay, well, um, like what, like when we talk about what cider should be mm -hmm. according to who, like according to the French or according uh, to okay. the English. Right. And that right there is this like giant divide, not to mention according to the Spanish, you know, up in Northern Spain, there's a very long history uh, cider culture up there. And, you know, all of those cider styles are inherently different. And the same goes for New World Modern or like American style cider. And um, what's cool now is even we're starting to see a little bit of difference between East Coast and West Coast. Hmm. And, um, you know, so like when you say how cider should be, again, it's like according to who. And um uh, I, I think that that is the one thing that most people, especially um, uh, beer consumers, don't know about cider um, is that there is this wide breadth of what cider can be. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, if we just go through them real quick, right, yeah. I, I kind of see, you know, in the most broadest sense, there's kind of these four main categories of cider where you've got Spanish style cidra from Northern Spain. You've got uh, traditional English cider, uh, primarily in like West country, England. Um, and then you've got French cider. Um, that's uh, kind of two main areas, Normandy and Brittany, both on the West coast of France. And then you've got kind of this catch all new world, modern cider. And that's what I think most people think of when they think of cider. So when we talk about New World Modern, we're talking about something that's usually fruit forward. Uh, it's usually made with dessert apples or like more modern eating apples that you'd find in the store. Okay. And it tends to be, you know, medium acid, a little bit delicate, uh, crisp and bubbly and yellow, right? Like that's kind <laughs> of the stereotype of New World Modern. Yeah. And within that, you already started getting in on like, okay, well, what if it's kind of watery or too sugary or too sweet? Um, and those are some of the downfalls in the new world modern category. I mean, you know, uh, when you start with a Fuji apple, um, you know, there's just not the same tannin content and acid content of like a Rhode Island greening apple or like a Porter's Perfection uh, and uh, that doesn't mean that it's a inferior cider when you make it out of Fuji. It just means that um, it's going to have intrinsically different properties and you have to be aware of that and treat it correctly. Um, and so that's kind of like what we do when we are talking about our new, new world modern ciders, right? We want them to be balanced. We want them to be approachable. Uh, we don't want them to be too sweet, right? Like that's <laughs> right. the big thing. If you're 
on one end, uh, you know, some of the downfalls with New World Modern Cider, um, you know, too watery, but on the other end, also too sweet. And um, I think that kind of comes from the fact that here in America, we lost our cider tradition along the way. You know, um, if we get back a history a little here, you know, cider was the most popular drink in America for a very long time. The colonists brought over that cider tradition from England. Um, You know, everyone was growing cider apples. You can imagine with westward expansion, homesteading, those calories count, man. You can't let Mm. just apples rot on the ground and go to waste. And cider was this natural way of preserving calories. Um, And it happened to make a very tasty beverage as well, (laughs) uh, especially sometimes when you couldn't trust the water supply. Um, you know, you've got this uh, wholesome, safe thing to drink that has calories in it and is making use of something on your farm. And that was like the deal in America, just like all these other places where they grew apples, they were making cider. Right. And uh, then prohibition came around. You know, a lot of cider apple orchards were cut down. We kind of lost our connection with that. And when prohibition was repealed, Um, you know, there's a lot of factors, like think about the fact that apple orchards take like at least five to 10 years to establish, right. Um, you know, you can get grain back in the ground in one season. Mm. We had molasses, rum, sugarcane coming up from the Caribbean. Uh, additionally, a lot of, uh, Eastern European immigrants around that time brought with them their beer culture and their beer traditions. And so like when prohibition was repealed, we got beer back, we got hard alcohol back, Uh, you know, even immigrants on the West Coast were making wine at that time, but the cider tradition never really came back. Um, And so what was left kind of decades later, you know, you go to the like early nineties, what do you got? Hornsby's. Um, (laughs) And I think at one point, they were even fined because they weren't even technically cider. They were a malt-based product with apple flavoring in it. Wow. And, you know, I mean, so like that's like that's where we were. That was America's opinion of what cider should be was basically Jolly Rancher juice. Sure. Um, so, you know, come uh, Lee Larson, Aaron Sarnoff Wood, Dave Takish, uh, three guys <laughs> in Corvallis, Oregon in 2010 that decided, you know, ah, well, look at all this great cider culture around the world Mm -hmm. here we are in the pacific northwest where there is an endless supply of craft beer uh artisan wine all these people who care about quality we have all of these orchards in the pacific northwest why was nobody making good quality craft cider and making it like available ubiquitously i mean you know like we're not talking we didn't set out to make 30 dollar bottles that only a few people could afford we believed that cider deserved a seat at the table not to replace beer or wine but to just be there as another option you know um it it has a lot of history behind it that is valuable and um deserves respect and consideration so that's kind of how we started Two Town Cider House is making craft cider, you know? Were you were you making cider at home first and then decided to sort of go for it? Or you, yeah. you saw that niche and you're like, you know what? Let's let's learn all we can about this. 
Well, you know, uh, Aaron, Lee, and I both were super obsessed with home brewing. Um, All right. And, you you know, like, so we definitely, our spirit, our background is in brewing. And um, we, along the way, you know, you know, I'm sure you know, too, like how you get (laughs) when you're a home brewer, you're just like, what else can I ferment? What else can I do? You get insanely obsessive. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. And that's (laughs) like why we got into this is we were doing it 24 seven on our off time is brewing. And that included making cider as well, actually. Nice. Um, Some home winemaking too. And um, yeah, boy. Uh, and it all kind of took off from there. And, uh, uh, you know, we started in a two car garage, um, you know, uh, Lee and Aaron, uh, you know, had the foresight to, uh, you know, establish the business. I, I came in after, um, working in the wine industry, I was getting off crush and they were like, Hey, we're starting the cidery. You want to come help out, be a part. And I was like, man, what an opportunity. So, Started making uh, the three of us cider in a two-car garage, 300-gallon tanks, um, and, you know, bottling one at a time by hand. <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, yeah. With, like, a home home rig setup. This and, was after, uh, the, after Two Towns has been established. You, yeah. you joined as, as the cider maker? Uh, yeah, like? okay. yeah. They had just, they were just doing their first, like, uh, couple batches, and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh you know, I said, well, you know, I think I've got a lot to contribute. I think you guys have got a great idea. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I wasn't a big fan of the name to be getting to you. Well, secret there. Uh, what but, is, you what know, is behind the name? Uh, you know, it's because uh, at the time, uh, Aaron and Lee were living in Corvallis and Eugene. Um, okay. So Aaron was actually in Eugene living there. And those were the two towns that came together to make this cider. Fuck, man. Company. I mean, it makes it makes sense. I guess, yeah. Somehow. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and it's funny now looking back, like, like, because, of course, I would have been like, you know, oh, we've got to be like willamette valley cider or like mary's peak cider or willamette river cider i i don't mm. know i'm sure i would have pitched for some like farmhousey name like that that more, was hyper local yeah like more um, traditional kind of yeah. a thing right okay yeah but right. you know now as we've grown like i i totally i'm glad that we didn't go down that path because yeah. sometimes that can as a brand pigeonhole you to a like region and then you try to go sell your cider, you know, up in Seattle and like, well, they, I don't know if anyone in Seattle is, you know, as keen on like specifically like Mary's peak cider or something, which is a, like the, I mean, I'm looking Mm. at the mountain right over there and, (laughs) um, you know, so I just, I, I kind of, um, look back after all these years and think like, man, it was really important to be part of a team where you've got multiple, you know, different viewpoints and, uh, yeah. people bring different things to the table. And, uh, so, you know, uh, Aaron, one of my partners, uh, Aaron Sarnoff Wood, he, he got his, uh, degree in uh, graphic design. You know, he, he made all our labels, our logos, marketing, all that stuff. Uh, Lee, he went to school for, uh, you know, business finance and, uh, turns out Damn. when you are running a company, you definitely need somebody to manage the money <laughs> yeah, for uh, sure. and it's, and it's not going to be the scientist, no. you know, um, that was my role. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> so you, you know, it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was good. It was good to have all those different viewpoints and that's really what's carried us through all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and of course, 
our dedication to making craft cider. It's funny because, you know, your your brand sort of exudes like this fun, carefree attitude, which I think has has helped you, like you said. But it's 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 sort of funny hearing the backstory where it's like you have some serious business finance, you know what I mean? Graphic design, like kind of starting the thing. And it, it it's uh, I, I think that's very funny because, you know, everybody needs to cut loose a little bit. Yeah. You know, well, I, 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 one thing I'll tell you is I, I'm so happy that you picked up on that kind of fun vibe because uh, that was part of that. You know, when we were talking about how do we bring craft cider back to the people, uh, make it a thing again. Uh, we definitely didn't want to go down the path of being too serious. You know, uh, we didn't want to follow that wine model. Yeah. Um, and you easily can, especially with cider, because if you want to elevate yeah. it and you want to bring it to the table and you want to bring it back to the forefront, um, you know, you you can get caught up in that sort of like hyper historical viewpoint of, well, this is, you know, the filigree yep. around the label and you could really go yeah. nuts. And then you're I think people would overlook. And and a one thing, you know, too, is like, for example, we always say, you know, we're brewer, we're brewers at heart. And, um, you know, uh, we are kind of saying is like, we have a winery license, but a craft brew spirit, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so we took all of our yeah. inspiration from the people we looked up to, you know, when we were in college, I remember being so pumped to be able to get my hands on a bottle of like Lagunitas Maximus IPA, you know, (laughs) like I think one of the first beers I ever got my hands on was like obsidian stout. That was my introduction to beer. Okay. Um, you know, uh, just things like that, like where, you know, we were looking up to these guys who had come like Ninkazi, you know, those guys making it happen, following their passion. Yeah. And so we were like, okay, well, we got to do the same thing. And so we tried to bring a little fun to our brand and, uh, um, you know, yeah, definitely not take ourselves too seriously. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I think we've done a really good balance over the years of, uh, um, you know, we have a wide variety of cider. And again, that gets back to your thing about not a lot of people know that there's this huge breadth of what cider can be. Right. And, um, you know, like I said, there's that new world modern, which is that, you know, uh, crisp, semi-sweet, medium acid, uh, fruit forward, bubbly kind of, uh, cider. Um, but as soon as you step out of that world, um, like just for example, going back to, you know, those four kind of broad categories, uh, going to the traditional English cider. Yeah. Well, first of all, traditionally it's served still. Uh, not okay. bubbly. Okay. Uh, and no it's good. always bone dry. I don't want now, that. <laughs> of course, in today's world, you can get bubbly and semi-sweet traditional English cider, and it is wonderful. But historically, on the farm, you're pulling the bung out of the cask and getting this mug of the chewiest cider you've ever had. I mean, it's like strips the enamel off your teeth oh man and there's not one iota of sugar in it and it smells a lot like the horse saddle which happens to be hanging up right next to you yeah and you know it's like but that's the deal right and when i went to the west country in england you know we were eating cider uh sorry we were drinking (laughs) cider and we were eating like the best cheddar cheese you've ever had in your life because the town of cheddar was like 20 minutes away damn and there were grooves 
in the pavement or not even pavement. I think they were like stone foundation. Okay. And there was grooves like four inches deep from where over the like a hundred years cider had been dripping out of the casks every time somebody poured a mug. Okay. And it had eaten like four inch grooves out of the stone (laughs) because they'd just been serving it in the same place out of the same damn cask for like 200 years straight. And, um, you know, you're eating pickled onions, the size of your fist. And it's like in that sense, right. That kind of cider is what is supposed to be drunk there. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, and, and then you, you, you move over to France, right. Just across the pond. And instead of, you know, pickled onions and sharp cheddar, you're, you're eating these super fatty, uh, like, uh, heavy cream cheeses, like, uh, Livarot, Camembert, Pont Levesque that are just so like unctuous and like, uh, fatty and pungent and you're pairing them with these uh ciders that while they have crazy tannin content the french ciders tend to actually be quite voluptuous because they do have residual sugar and they are bubbly and instead of like uh um and and, you know so so like that's just and then you're like what a bit a baguette with some like butter or something you know and you're just in hog heaven right and then you go to northern spain and there the cider is kind of um acetic and a lot of people say uh that it has a character of um like olive juice and fresh lemon peel so kind of think of like a dirty martini flavor profile okay Um, you you had me there you lost me with the dirty and then you and you had me with the martini side so i got you okay so so you get it like it sounds weird at first and i tell you what if you bring a a bottle of um spanish cider Mm -hmm. back to the states it's just, and you're trying to eat it at some barbecue, like it's, it's going to be weird. Right. <laughs> sure. uh, but when you're in Northern Spain and there's just beautiful people on the beach everywhere and you're eating oh, the God. best tapas of your life. Yeah. Like, and somebody's pouring you some Spanish cedra from six feet above their head into the glass doing the long pour, then it all starts making sense. And, you know, I just feel like, nobody knows about this stuff like well there I mean, Stella, is so much crazy cider out there in the world you well know? stella artois released their cedra so i feel like everyone you know that really brought it to the <laughs> i don't know man um so i mean it, it sounds like the cider is it's it's like our regional beer selections kolsch right. right or you know um uh i'm trying to now i'm like lost like uh dunkles or 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 uh you know your smoked beers from bomberg or whatever they're harder yep. to to sort of identify or not identify but um embrace outside of that little region yeah and in the states we sort of like you said during prohibition we kind of got away from that because once we could make alcohol grain stores better than apples do yeah. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? So we had it. Well, it's it's yeah, it's easier to get grain yeah. back in the ground and harvested. And um so anyway, you know, in this this all comes together kind of is like back to your original question, like like what what should should cider be mm-hmm. and then according to who? And so, you know, here in the States, um, there's a lot of people doing a great job, like 
not only bringing back historical styles, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we have a French cider that we produce. We do some uh, one-offs Ooh. of like Spanish Cedra and uh, really? also, um, yeah, some like West country kind of style stuff. Um, but then, you know, you have in your studio there our easy squeezy, which is a uh, raspberry lemonade cider. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, well, well, that's where our craft brew spirit kind of is coming out and we're pushing the bounds of what cider can be. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the acid content on that, it is like freaking through the roof. Um, and it's almost like if you pour it next to a, a raspberry sour beer, yeah, you won't be too far off. Um, like in terms of the specs and you wow. may not even know that the raspberry sour beer is actually a beer. And you might not even know that the raspberry lemonade cider is a cider. They're falling into a new category of something else. That's just fun and exciting to explore. Um, that's insane. And, yeah. That's wild, and, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can't wait to try then, it. <laughs> should we crack one open? Yeah. I mean, well, let's, let's do this. Let's take a break first. We'll come back. We'll crack open okay. two beers, talk a little bit more. I'm, I'm looking through your website. There's a whole bunch of stuff to cover. Um, what I do love about websites like like yours and, and companies like yours is you, you, you do seem very proud of all of your releases, and you have them all archived. I like that. Number one, mainly for me as a, as a podcaster, uh, as a pseudo-internet journalist, it gives me something to like get a little more background on you. Like as a For media sure. side, but also just as a fan of the of the brand and the ciders and and having been to your place, um, it's just it's really neat to sort of like uh, like comb through and and uh, you know check the stuff that what you guys have been doing and oh man that sounded really cool and you sort of get this uh, I don't want to call it FOMO but uh, you know you get this little just sort of a vibe anyway let's take yeah. a quick break we're gonna come back we're gonna drink some uh, some ciders see I'm on autopilot I almost said beers uh, we're here this is session with two towns cider we'll be right back it's time to talk beer and chew bubble gum and we're all out of gum. The session. All right, everyone. Thanks for sticking around. We are here with Dave from Two Towns Cider, and we're going to bust open a cider. Uh, Dave, what should I what should I open first, man? Well, we were just talking about the easy squeezy, so yeah. let's try that raspberry let's lemonade cider. Let's start with something, like, kind of out there. All right, let's check this label out. I like that label. Yeah, again. Very bright and... Summer vibes, you know, kind of stuff. All good stuff. Yeah. So raspberry lemonade cider. How do you, how do you come up with that? First of all. Well, uh, you know, we were looking for something that was um, super uh, sessionable and um, kind of reflected our like West Coast and Pacific Northwest uh, kind of roots and. Um, so, you know, one of our big philosophies is that um, you want to start with the highest quality ingredients that you can and let them speak for themselves. Yeah. And um, so, you know, uh, we are in the heart of cane fruit country here. We've got Marion County right next door that grows the Marion blackberries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, like basically from Northern California up to like, what is it? Whatcom county and uh washington there is just like where most of maybe even the world's raspberries come from 
and then uh uh so we wanted to use raspberries in there uh but uh the lemons um that's kind of one that for me i've always been like well you know sometimes the problem with the regular lemons is they can be a little biting they can also you know lemon is just used in so many different like cleaning products and stuff (laughs) i i kind of feel like sometimes if you're not careful you can get pick up that kind of like character oh yeah and um so what we did is we said well how can we get the lemon of our dreams and it turns out that the meyer lemon when you think in your mind of like the most perfect sweet lemon that like you know is some sort of daydream of what lemonade should be like yeah it's a meyer lemon that you're thinking of yeah it's god's and- gallstones is what i always say <laughs> they're just, they are they are perfect and sweet but they're they're balanced it's it, they're, it's a it, if you think you've had a lemon you've never had yeah. a lemon until it's a meyer lemon absolutely yeah right on so anyway uh all of the lemon juice we use and all of like any product that we have that has lemons in it is actually meyer lemon we we contract to have them uh, pressed for us. And, um, that's all California Meyer lemons. And I think it shows in the end product, you know, you get this really rich lemon character. And then of course the fruitiness from the raspberries and it ends up, you know, with the acid that comes along with raspberries and lemon. Um, you know, we we don't hold back. There's a lot in there and the acid profile ends up being, um, I think even maybe a little above what a normal sour beer would, would be at. I just caught that the um, the sunrise or the sunset probably is a lemon wedge, yeah. a lemon slice. <laughs> I just caught that. That's cute. Yeah, man. Uh, so this is I I haven't had anything quite like it. It's it's almost like a shandy, I guess, or a Rattler. I don't know. Maybe yep. maybe maybe not. But like. Well, I think you're on the right track there too. Because the yeah. the cider is, you know, it's underneath, and that's what it should be, and it's a it's a vehicle for the other, you know, for the other stuff, and it's it, you still taste it and it's quality, and you get the raspberry a little bit, that lemon comes through, but nothing really is like pokey until the end, and that 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 tart, that acid really sort of comes through slowly. When you were mm-hmm. talking about it, I was expecting it to be like a sour beer. We were like, wow, there it is, but it's it's not. It it sort of rides in pretty nicely at the end just sort of clean everything up. And at first I was like, ah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about the combo. I, I just, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it. Number one, mainly because I haven't had a cider yet. And my palate's probably all jacked up, but it, it made me want to take another drink. And then I was like, it kicked in. I get it. And now I'm, I caught myself just drinking it three or four times. Yep. It just out of, uh, to get that first impression back. I don't know. It's kind of a neat, like little cyclical flavor combination you have going on there. That's really good. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there is, you know, just holistically our cider philosophy is like, you know, we, we don't want them. uh, Well, we, we first and foremost, we just want them to be balanced. Even if that balance is up here with like a crazy amount of acid, you know, you need an, a, enough sugar to just balance that out. If you have uh, a lower acid cider, that's fine too. But you also want to make sure that your sugar levels are in check. Um, sometimes you don't even need sugar for mm. it to have balance. And so, um, you know, we're looking for balance. 
and uh, also, but we also really want the flavors to shine through. Um, and that's why we kind of go to such great lengths um, to source like the best quality fruit we can. Um, you know, my dad, he always says that you can't make a, what does he say? He says, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. I don't know why he always says that. <laughs> That's like, some like shit you hear on Deadwood the, or something. <laughs> yeah. He's not a, he's like not an old timey farmer either, but um, you know, that is a, an expression he says. And I think it's apt yeah. here. Um, yeah. You know, when, you, like when you start with Chinese concentrate, when you start with glucose or high fructose corn syrup, uh, when you're adding Jolly Rancher flavor back, um, it is what it is. You know, I, there may be a a spot for it in like the American marketplace, but I think that when we're talking about like craft cider, you can be proud of, um, you know, you need to start with good ingredients. So for example, our, we have a pineapple cider yeah, and that's probably like one of our sweeter ciders, but at the same time we went, you know, we, we, we must've sampled, dozens and dozens of different pineapple juices and purees and uh like and we settled on like we found that the costa rican gold pineapple is this variety they grow in costa rica is like the sweetest you know again it's like the pineapple of your dreams when you think about pineapple uh you know so how do you how do you go about finding 16 different varietals of pineapples and stuff to to taste to 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 find this one do you work with like a a broker i guess or how do you how do you how do you source an ingredient like that to pick the very best yeah well um you know i think when we started out um it was more about uh you know we were just playing around with like for example our first fruit cider was this one the the maid marion here mm-hmm. and um you know, that were, those were like Marion County grown Marion berries from right next door. And we're like, man, those, you know, we already know those are like the highest bar for blackberry variety in the world. And they're right in our backyard. But as we evolved and we started wanting some more exotic flavors, we had to go searching for them. And um, we definitely have great relationships with a number of processors around the Pacific Northwest. Those processors have ties with other processors around the world and you got to know the right people, you know, um, we've got a lot of brokers we work with too, that, uh, we've had longstanding relationships and they get it when we're like, yo, we need the best, of the best. Yeah. We want samples overnight ship them on dry ice from Costa Rica because Damn. we want to try them. And so that's how we go about it. Um, we've got an R and D team now that, uh, you know, we, we've got hundreds of, purees and juices cataloged in the freezer and we just pull them out and you know it's kind of a dream dream come true to like yeah dude. be able to play with all this stuff that sounds like a lot of fun man just to be like well we walk into the toy store and you figure it out yeah I yeah like exactly it. that's tight yeah. man that's cool uh yeah this is real this is a very refreshing uh very acidic uh, but not overly so. I think it. I think it's it's it's. Uh, you know, it tastes like a like a lemon peel, lemon zesty, and there's some like lemon juice to it. The raspberry cleans it up, and the cider it just kind of comes through and is hanging out, man. It's a uh, it's a good time in a can for sure. Yeah, and it's five percent. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. 
Well, um, I think that's probably a good segue then. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about fruit and philosophy and, yeah. um, I, I think one thing we need to talk about a little bit is apples, you know, okay. yeah, let's um, do that. that's the root core pun intended of our go. business. There you go. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, it's so cool that we're here in the Pacific Northwest where, you know, what, just a couple hours north of us in the Yakima Valley, uh, they're, they're in Wenatchee, they're growing two thirds of the nation's apples wow. in like right there. Um, in Oregon, there's a lot of uh, smaller farms with more heirloom style fruit that we can source from as well. Um, and, you know, uh, it's important um, to get the right blend of apples for the specific purpose you want to do. Because remember, we talked about how different like French cider is from English cider, from uh, Spanish cider and New World Modern. It's because of the inherent differences in the apple varieties that they have in those regions. Um, and I think that's like important. Remember, like cider, it's an agricultural product. We're, <laughs> right. we're, we're making stuff out of things that grow, you know, once a season. Mm-hmm. Um when we get uh, uh, our juice blends in, like early on for two towns, you know, we kind of had this option. We we're like, well, can we go, we could go down the path of acquiring pressing equipment and pressing our own juice, or we can let the people who already have that equipment, there's already those food systems set up in Washington, in Oregon, and they have incredibly efficient presses Mm -hmm. and we said well we could we could go the route of sourcing our juice and focus on making the best cider we can and you know i think that's where it's a little bit different than winemaking Uh, i I mean i worked in wineries for sure I, i got my master's degree studying wine and um i think inherently the pressing of the grapes especially for red wine making is a lot more uh, intrinsic to your final product, um, because it matters, you know, there's, there's the winemaker sense of, you know, whether they do it scientifically or whether they do it by taste and feel Mm -hmm. there's, uh, an important step of knowing when to cut that press, uh, to make sure you're not extracting too many tannins. Um, and it matters. Whereas in the cider world, the number one thing you're just trying to do is get the most bang for your buck you want the most efficient (laughs) press right and uh you know to do that uh you need the really high-tech big presses and so they've got these crazy things called booker presses and boy they sure rip um you know they can do tons (laughs) and tons of apples in a press and um so what we focus on is making sure the specs of that juice are what we want for the cider we're making. Okay. Uh, so we look at things like pH, titratable acidity, sugar content. Um, and then we look at things like the blends that are in them. And, uh, you know, like, for example, for the easy squeezy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, we just want to make sure there's a balanced blend. You know, if it's 10% more this or... 20% less that variety it it matters less to the overall character of the cider because it's so heavily influenced by things like Meyer lemon and raspberry okay just the now, base the base cider 
Right. Okay. But you right. still need to pay attention and make sure that the quality, the apples are good, that mm-hmm. the sugar content is there, uh, that the flavor is there, and that you take care with your fermentations. I mean, that just goes without saying. You've got to have uh, healthy fermentations uh, so you don't get off flavors. Um, yeah. And uh, so anyway, um, in that sense, we use a blend and we make sure we're at the specs we want. Uh, now, if we go to something else, like for example, here's this, uh, I got this cosmic crisp cider here. Okay. Um, that one, uh, you know, is made from cosmic crisp apples and, uh, we need to make sure that there's, uh, you know, uh, the appropriate amount of whatever, or if maybe it's not cosmic crisp, but some other variety, uh, or varietal cider, you know, like we want to make sure that there's the right uh, variety and or varieties to back that up. Um, so one thing like we used to do, for example, we had this great combination. We haven't done it in a while, but it uh, was uh, John Gold apples, which are like a new world, modern, big, juicy, sweet apple. John Gold. Um, okay. All right. John Gold. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, a cross between Jonathan and Golden Delicious. Okay. Um, <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, uh, it, it had this wonderful sweet character, uh, but was uh, maybe like a little flabby on the acid. Um, and so we blended in uh, what's called Porter's Perfection, which is an old world cider apple from England. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bitter sharp. So there's, got tannins and it's got a ton of acidity and the combo of those like all of a sudden you've got this big uh, juicy flavor profile with this backbone it's got backbone you know and we could make like a dry brute cider that was expressive but had structure and was dry Hmm. you know um and so for other varieties you know we're going okay well like this one's gonna maybe have a little bit less tannin in it. So let's make sure there is a small degree of residual sugar to make sure that it has enough mouthfeel, doesn't ha- taste watery or boring. Um, and, you know, that that's what we're looking for in all of these different combinations. And the cool thing is when it comes to apple varieties, there are thousands to play with. Um, <laughs> most people think that maybe there's only about a dozen that you see in the stores. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, at the Germplasm Repository in Ithaca, New York, um, I think they've got over 7,000 different apple varieties cataloged there. Oh, sure. The Germplasm and- Museum or whatever. <laughs> yeah, sure. Everyone knows that, man. Well, well it's it's so they it, in uh, in Ithaca, New York, they have yeah. like basically it's like a, a repository, like a, a okay. library of like they just got a couple trees or maybe just one tree of thousands of different varieties and when you are looking to breed the next apple variety that's where you go to get the genetics that you want to incorporate to find that new variety of apple and and Um, that's wild to me because it it seems like these specific apples are either just fallen out of favor uh, because they're not you know necessarily primarily edible you know what I mean? Like they, like yeah. they're too bitter or whatever. They're not perfect for eating. How are farmers planting these in orchards that are big enough for you to use? Are they just really yeah. into these old world kind of styles or they want to, they're just into farming. I, I imagine there's some of that too, maybe. Well, let me, let's just go. 
we're going to go on a little journey into Apple okay. genetics here, and I okay. promise it's not going to be boring. <laughs> okay, uh, good. okay, so we have to go back to like the very basics here. Like, okay, how how is a uh, how does an apple grow on a tree? Well, first you have to have the the flower bloom in the spring, right? Mm-hmm, yeah, and then you have to have pollen from a different tree, and actually, it has to be a different variety. It has to be a different variety of apple. That pollen has to come in and fertilize that flower. And the reason is, is because the way apples get genetics work, they're not self-fertile or rarely are. And so you need pollen from a different variety um, to cross-pollinate that flower, okay. fertilize it, and then, a, and then an apple grows. Okay. So let's say you've got your Granny Smith tree, Granny Smith apple. Everyone knows that one. Uh, the flower blooms the spring. And uh, some pollen comes in from another Granny Smith tree. Nope, that's not going to work. Pollen comes in from like uh, Fuji, maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. You've now fertilized that flower. And what is going to grow? Well, it's a Granny Smith tree. So there's going to be a Granny Smith apple that grows on that tree. But the seeds inside of that Granny Smith apple are not going to be Granny Smith seeds. They are going to be a genetic cross between the parent tree and whatever other pollen that was out there. Interesting. Okay. And that is why you cannot plant seeds from a granny Smith apple and expect a granny Smith tree to grow. Um, You might get something that's similar, uh, but you also might get something that's very different. And um, so then that begs the question like, okay, well, how do you get 400 acres of Granny Smith <laughs> trees growing? Because right. that certainly exists up in Washington. Yeah, and the answer is uh, propagation through grafting, uh, also called cloning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, but uh, what that means is that you take a cutting or like a piece of living tissue from the variety you want. So it's a Granny Smith tree, and you cut off a little twig, and you go to another existing tree. Maybe it's a, let's say, a golden delicious tree. No, okay. let's red. Del- it's a red delicious tree. Okay, and you're super bored with the red delicious Hell trees. Yeah, nobody, dude. nobody likes red delicious. No, anymore. they're mealy. They're gross. <laughs> Get out of here with that. So, so you're like, I don't want this red delicious tree anymore. I want the Granny Smith tree. Yeah. So you cut off like a branch on that red delicious tree, and you graft on the living tissue from the Granny Smith tree. And from that graft union upward, you will have Granny Smith apples growing. Okay. Um, and from below that, you'll still have your Red Delicious. And that's actually how they get those cool trees in the nurseries that have like five different varieties yeah. on them. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And I was I'd recommend. How, I was wondering yeah. how like, good the, the fruit tastes. Oh, yeah. No, same. It's the same. Genetically, mm. you are, you're growing. You got one branch that's granny smith you've got another branch that's Mm. fuji and it is the exact same as if it was growing on a fuji tree or growing on a granny smith tree wow yeah i'm a little familiar with grafting just from like talking to people in the wine industry about like the the rootstock for like the napa valley where and i'm pretty stupid with history so i forget a lot of it it was like some rootstock like saved all our like wine grapes out here because it was more disease resistant so like all this Exactly. And that's, that's where I go. No, oh, that's it. The yep. pretty the hills. Root, yeah. There was the uh, root louse phylloxera. Um, and uh, that uh, is a really damaging to the Vitus vinifera, which are the wine grape varieties mm-hmm. from Europe. 
Um, but the American varieties of grapes like uh, Vitus lambrusca is uh, much more resistant to the root louse since they co-evolved with it. And so when you graft on, uh, so what you do is you grow the roots in the ground, the, the, yeah. the Vitus lambrusca, and then you graft on the wine grapes that you want. And actually, it's the exact same thing exact in same the apple thing, okay. industry. All right. um, people, like if you have an apple tree in your backyard that's like only maybe like 12 to 18 feet high, yeah, that is a grafted tree because normally apple trees will grow to like 30 feet high. Um, you know, those big monsters you see. Okay. And that's, that's just growing from seed. But there are certain rootstock varieties uh, apple varieties that are grown just for the rootstock purposes, and they keep the tree small. Um, other varieties mm. have a disease resistance or drought resistance, but you can select whatever whatever rootstock you want for the conditions you're in, or select for size. So people use what's called dwarfing rootstock, and they'll graft on like that Granny Smith on top of the dwarfing rootstock, and all of a sudden you've got a backyard sized Granny Smith tree. Well, that's wild. Yeah. Science is weird, dude. And I don't know if I it's, like it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. Well, you know, and it's just, uh, you know, you don't have to be that nerdy about it. Um, but, you know, it, it, the, the thing is, is that that is the history. That is the background behind why, you know, we're growing, you know, uh, uh, like, uh, what would you call it? Like a Cabernet Sauvignon and, <laughs> Um, Napa Valley or why we're growing Granny Smith tree, uh, apples on dwarfing rootstock up in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, it all leads to the end product eventually. Yeah. No, and I think it's cool because you you do sort of get a, a bigger appreciation, a larger picture of the cider industry and, and what sort of goes into all of this background. I mean, we know yeah. all, we know a lot of it from, from beer. That's normally what we focus on home brewing. It's normally what we focus on, but well, we used to, <laughs> but, uh, but with cider and, and especially winemaking, uh, um, and you know, we, we don't really, there's not a whole lot of that. We don't really, yeah. we don't really get introduced a lot to it. So I, I appreciate the, the lesson. Let's, let's open another can. Let's do, let's do a cosmic crisp let's since we're talking about apple varieties. Um, cause this one has a really cool story to it. So this is the Cosmic Crisp. Look at that. Right on. All right. And this is a new apple variety uh, bred by Washington State University and grown by the Apple Growers Association uh, in Washington. And what's cool is that, you know, it's not every day that you get this, like, industry-wide new variety coming out. And one of the cool things you'll see right away is that the cider has this like platinum color to it. Yes. And that is because um, the Cosmic Crisp variety is actually pretty resistant to browning because of its acid content. Okay. And so uh, there's these things uh, called um, polyphenols. Uh, polyphenols are also the uh, like what people call tannins in, in red wine. Uh, they're antioxidants. And um, so... Uh, different kinds of fruit have them to different degrees it's very high content and wine mm -hmm. uh some apple varieties have a lot and some have only a small amount but there's this thing an enzyme called polyphenol oxidase and this enzyme uh it combines oxygen and the polyphenol 
to create a pigment that starts turning brown, right? In the presence of oxygen. So you've got your polyphenol, the enzyme polyphenol oxidase exposed to oxygen, boom, you get browning. Okay. And certain acids will inhibit that reaction from happening. So this cosmic crisp apple has a ton of acid in it and it keeps the apple from turning brown. You can slice it, put on a salad, right. wait like seven hours and it still hasn't turned brown. Wow. Um, if you look at some of those old world, like, uh, English varieties, <laughs> yeah. you cut it and like three minutes later, they're just <laughs> brown, super round. Um, Great. and that's because they, a have a ton of polyphenol tannin content and then B, they also have, uh, not very much acid. Okay. Um, and that's just inherent to those old varieties, but this new variety cosmic crisp, um, WSU went about like, okay. They were like, what do we, the Apple Growers Association talking to WFC, they said, what do you want? Well, like, what do we want to see in our perfect apple? Well, A, they wanted an apple to replace Red Delicious because nobody likes it anymore. Okay. So it had to be red. And then they wanted something that was easier to grow than Honeycrisp because Honeycrisp can be a little bit difficult to grow. Uh, but they wanted it to be very, very crunchy like Honeycrisp. They wanted that crunch. Right. And, um, these are all like traits you can breed for. And so they started making all these crosses with Honeycrisp and they ended up with a cross between Honeycrisp and, uh, Apple called Enterprise, which has a dark red, uh, almost purple, uh, like, um, skin Mm -hmm. and has a really, really like white flesh. And they made this apple that is so damn crunchy that (laughs) it's like deafening when you try to eat it. You can't hear anybody talking to you because it's like so crunchy, but that's what they wanted. And I think they hit the nail on the head. And in the end, like the other cool thing is that because of the high acid content, because of the high sugar content, man, this thing makes a wonderful cider. Um, you know, how you long can make, th- how long does it yeah. take to do that? Because you said like an apple orchard takes what five years to grow to bear fruit. So how many years did this project take them? I think this project, I I've heard a number of things. The, the longest I've heard was that it was like a result of basically twenty years of breeding research. Wow. But but I think you know that probably includes a lot of the background stuff. Um, you know, as well. I, I don't know exactly. Okay. Uh, maybe I should ask that next time go up to WSU, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think the, the cool thing, right. Is when we talk about, well, like how, how do we get new varieties of apples? Yeah. Well, remember we talked about how you have to have cross pollination to occur every time you want an apple to grow. So, um, we talked about like the example where you have a granny Smith tree with, uh, flowers on it blooming, and then you need that pollen from another variety to, to fertilize the flower the apple grows those seeds inside are the cross right and so historically that has just happened throughout human history Mm. and wherever humans went and started intermingling these different apples we got these new varieties and you can imagine let's say it's the 1700s and we're in england and you're growing one variety of apple and your neighbor farmer brown he's growing uh, an apple variety. And one day you, you see, Oh, look in between the, our two fences right here in this fence row where the sheep can't get to it. 
there's this seedling volunteer apple tree. It it's growing because an apple rolled off the tree mm-hmm. and is just sitting there. It it germinated, and five years later, there's a baby tree, and we're like, wow. Well, you know, that apple variety it looks like my variety, but it blooms earlier and it seems to crop harder and it seems to be like a more disease resistant tree or dang the apples are way tastier than my apples i want that apple in my orchard so what do you do you take a cutting you graft it in propagate it through your orchard your neighbor sees it oh he he's like wow that guy's got those really high yielding sweet apples i want one of those that and pretty soon all the farmers in one region are growing a variety and that variety is endemic and ubiquitous to that region. And you've got, you know, you will call it farmer Brown's apple variety. And that's like an English variety, quote unquote. Right. So there you go. And that has just happened. And people have selected these varieties for different purposes, Mm -hmm. specifically for like, making cider or for eating fresh or for storing a long time or for making juice or for making pie. Um, And so that's how we get like all these different varieties historically. But nowadays universities do that and they do it on purpose with uh, intent and also probably a lot of DNA sequencing. Yes. Right. Right. um, So you don't have to wait 10 years for your orchard to establish. You can grow a seedling in a greenhouse take a piece of that leaf, run DNA analysis, look for genetic markers. Is the skin going to be red? Oh, uh, you know, damn. X, Y, and Z. Okay. Yeah. All and right. um, so the first example of that was like basically the Honeycrisp variety okay. out of uh, what University of Minnesota or something. And they were like, we want an apple that looks like this and is crunchy. My, they did that. Yeah. My dumb ass is like, well, there must be an orchard. Where they just test all this shit and they plant a tree and then you got, you know, 20 students just with a a clipboard taking notes every day going, well, it grew another inch and then whatever. And then like four years later, you know, they're graduating and they go, well, let's, let's try this apple. Oh, wow. That was four years of my life. That sucked. Didn't work. That that is how it used to go. (laughs) And I think technology has given us a lot um, of better insight these days. Yeah. Um, You know, but uh, you you know, you you see people with those paintbrushes and the pollen, like pollinating a apple, you know, having sex with apple blossoms. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So I'm drinking this cider. It is, uh, it is wild, man. First of all, it's an imperial cider. I noticed that is 8%. Uh, what what made you go imperial on this? Is it to sort of more fully express the the apple? Yeah, Something yeah, like that? yeah. Okay. Give it a little lift. Uh, yeah, and you know this this apple is a lot sweeter than most other apples, um, and it's got a really high acid content. So we wanted this to just like yeah. express all that Cosmic Crisp was. And um, one thing for me that I was just so thrilled about was that. Uh, the Cosmic Crisp Apple, it does have a unique character, um, a, a, a specific character. When you try it against other apples or you ferment it, it even expresses more. There's a lot of mm. action that yeast have on uh, sugar-bound uh, flavor compounds. And sometimes you can get more expression post-fermentation than you do a- a wow. pre-fermentation. That's crazy. And so what I get from this yeah. is like a lot of like, 
pineapple character almost uh that's kind of what where my mind goes uh yeah the especially the acidity well let's start with the with the aroma for me this doesn't smell the way it tastes if that makes sense it smells like a different like a different uh drink entirely it's it's very aromatic like potpourri um you know it's um yeah, it's got a little perfumey kind of thing. Yes, things. yeah, a lot. Yeah. But you still smell that, um, like, apple skin tannin, you know, like the, the, the green skin apple on a... skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you get a lot of that coming through, but it's almost, um, like, underripe pear. There's, like, some pear sure. notes to it also. You know, that actually, I, you know, I always love hearing what, how other people describe things because mm-hmm. sometimes you pick up stuff that you know you're going to use later. And uh, that like underripe pear is a great uh, descri- Thanks, aroma descriptor. For well, that, I, so. I'm a super taster. I tell yeah. everybody that. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Um, you can use it. Yeah. And then you and then you you taste it and it's 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 darker apple flavors probably because it's imperial so there's it's a uh, and darker i mean like concentrated i guess i'm trying to i need a better descriptor for that because i use it sort of a lot that's just the what i i conjure in my mind yeah um but it and and then there is some pear um at the end there is that that pineapple but it's like underripe pineapple also where it's more acidic than sweet yeah yeah but it's yeah. it's there it's that tropical pineapple-y I, I I think you we that is an you're hitting it on the head where there's um some like at first a little perfumey character then there's like an underripe pear character and then there's some um, like a little tropical uh yeah, like green, character green apple red apple like you you and maybe I'm maybe because I know it's a cider and maybe I'm pulling that out in my mind but it is like a green red apple mix kind of a thing with some of this tropical fruity thing that's a a lovely mess of a like a apple flavor. It's just it's it's a lot. So that's what I mean. It 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 doesn't smell the way it tastes. You're getting two. It's a two for one. You're getting <laughs> you're getting two two uh, sensory like overloads. That is that's a very powerful uh, combination that you have there. That's very good. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know again. I think that is all. Um, you know, we just take care to make sure that fermentation is really healthy. And very, um, we ferment this, um, you know, quite slowly, uh, like compared to, you know, like when you're doing beer fermentations, right? I think at a, depending on the starting gravity, you know, you're looking at um, uh, for maybe a smaller craft brewery, like five to seven days or something of fermentation. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think the bigger guys get it down lower than that. But, um, you know, our fermentations are taken, you know, over like up to two weeks sometimes because we're fermenting them cold and we want them to just take the time to express that apple. And um, we use a very um, like neutral, clean yeast on it. And so what you're getting out of that is like the cosmic crisp apple expressed. And the cool thing is if you get a cosmic crisp apple, you'll pick up on some of those exact same underripe pear notes and those pineapple notes like in the apple. And um, that's why I just, I'm so thrilled about this cider because here we have this apple variety that the, you know, Washington farmers were like, we want something that identifies us, Hmm. you know, the next Honeycrisp. How are we going to stand out in the nation of like having a really awesome apple? 
We want something to be deafeningly crunchy and actually have some real flavor in it. You know, that is something that the agricultural world has uh, sometimes has, in the past couple decades forgot to breed into their new varieties of fruits <laughs> and vegetables is right. like actual flavor. Right. They're just many times breeding only for color and size. Mm. But, you know, they they wanted something that truly has flavor and also, besides that sweetness, has some acidity to back it up. So the stats on this apple are wonderful. <laughs> and then you got Washington State University partnering, you know, like you've got the agricultural side and then you've got the science side. And they breed this gorgeous apple uh, that checks all the marks. And then, you know, we're bringing it in-house, fresh-pressed juice, fermenting it with a clean yeast, you know, putting it in a can. And now there's not only this new apple variety out there, but a new variety of cider as well. I mean, it's so cool. You're, you're like a, just... you're like a, like an agent for like a triple a ball player. <laughs> you're like this kid, I'm telling you, this kid is perfection identified and everyone's going to love it. Um, I mean, I can definitely see it. Do you, do you, uh, do you mess around with like dry hop ciders? I feel like this is would be a good base for a nice dry hop. You know, that this would be, be a great base for a dry hop cider. And we have a little line called the Cellar Series that's going on right now where oh. we do some um, fun, like, uh, kind of out there, like, really, really interesting flavor combos. Damn, and, I love fun, dude. Um, what, are you, what are you guys doing? Boy, let's see. We've had some – we had a – Marionberry tequila lime cider that was pretty crazy Get the fuck out of here dude uh, really yeah um we <laughs> sounds very good yeah i'm not gonna lie i mean it, it was it was like a kind of like a like a blackberry margarita flavor profile almost dude, like that sounds um, awesome yeah it was eight percent and just wild and uh um one thing that is coming out very soon is a because uh, you mentioned the dry hopping, it's yeah. a citrus hop cider, so it's got grapefruit go. juice and clementine juice. Uh, okay, yeah, and maybe lemon juice. I've got to go back and look, but okay. Meyer lemon juice. Um, but uh, so we're getting like we're trying to like get all the different citrus we can, okay. and then we are dry hopping with Saboro hops. So wow. Um, it's going to be wild. It's like going to be the super high acid dry hop cider. And, um, you know, now that you mention it, the cosmic, it's like such a great base for doing some more hop stuff. It um, really is, man. Especially these like, um, and I, I'm so bad at like the new school hops that I don't know any names at all, but especially those like more fruit forward tropically, you know, like you, you said Sabro or, um, I can't, I can't, I'm, off the top of my head, I can't. Maybe like a lot of these New Zealand hops, yeah. Where there's a little bit of character to them, but it's like, yeah, I. And I think this would be a great compliment for it. It would be fun. That's wild, man. Well, look, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll drink the other two ciders because I want to talk about some of the other stuff you're doing too, uh, and we'll sort of wrap everything up over a nice cider. Perfect. What do you think? All right, Dave. Thanks a lot. Hang on, just a second. It's two town cider. It's the session, and we'll be right back. Hang on. Segmented, demented, fermented, fermented. It's the session. Right. Yeah. 
All right, thanks for sticking around, everybody. We are back with Two Towns Cider. We got Dave still on the line, still hanging out, which is hard to believe. While I pick another beer, or excuse me, <laughs> I knew I would do it. While I pick another cider, um, I was talking to our, our friend Dave Marliave, or as we call him on the show, Dave Malalavalava, because you can't pronounce his name. Uh, formerly of um, Flat Tail, now with New Spring and uh, doing a couple yeah. other projects. And he was telling me a story um, about a homebrew episode uh, or homebrew uh, error or, or, or incident that you had where uh, you spilled his, you spilled your mash on the floor while you were homebrewing and then scooped it up and then you kept just going. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was very, sure. uh, very homebrew-like and I feel like that would be a good... Uh, a good experience for you to just sort of like, uh, yeah, fuck it. I mean, you're not going to hurt anything. You might as well just do it. What are you going to do, waste the entire day? For sure. Yeah. Did, did he say I spilled it or he spilled it? Oh, shit. <laughs> he, that you did it. That you spilled uh, your mash. I mean, you know, I, I think him? that's debatable. Okay. That's debatable. It, so I, he did it. He sabotaged I, you. To be honest, we both probably had so many beers that it was hard to remember at that point. No, uh, Dave? who did what? But you know, uh, that's it's the homebrew spirit. You've got to keep on trucking. You got to do it, brother. You know, I think the one thing, um, you know, just recently, actually, I, I I just thought, you know, I haven't homebrewed in forever, and I want to do it again. I mean, you know, and so this spring I brewed up three different pilsners wow. uh a two percent pilsner a three percent pilsner and a four percent pilsner bro yes <laughs> yes all of that i love it yes and and uh and you know i was just like but here's the deal is that i didn't want it to be like this you know I, i've had plenty of my days uh the whole day sucked up with obsessive compulsive you know, like homebrew detail where you're like, I'm calculating everything out yeah. uh, because one day I'm going to be a master brewer. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I feel like I've already gone through that phase in my life. So yep. these brews were a lot of napkin math and uh, not really weighing anything really and kind of eyeballing your, you know, boil volumes. And, you know, they turned out great. They, they, they might not win a GABF medal, uh, except for maybe the two percent was pretty freaking. It's pretty awesome, good. I say. Yeah, right. uh, but you know what I'm saying is just it's like uh, I think it's important to remember that you're doing it for fun, right. and uh, you know, um, it's I mean, important I, to take a step back and you take that philosophy to work as well. You know, like we're, yeah. we're doing it for fun, and there's no reason to be in here doing this unless you're going to enjoy it. You know, exactly. Exactly. So why not scoop that fucking mash? Um, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, Made Marion? Yes. Yes, please. Let's do that. Um, okay. So this one is, uh, uh, this is like our first fruit cider that we ever did. And it's been around since the beginning. Um, and we're just so proud of it because yeah. this kind of epitomizes, you know, like letting the fruit speak for itself. Um, and making sure you get the highest quality stuff you can. Um, Man, you know, it smells like jam. It smells yeah. like blackberry, acidic blackberry jam. And you it's know, very the inviting. Thing, you just, um, you can't. 
there's a lot of debate about like the use of, you know, like concentrates and things like that. Yeah. Uh, we don't use concentrates, not because they're inherently evil, but because you tend to just, it's a slippery slope. And the, the difference between like blackberry concentrate and real blackberry puree or fresh pressed blackberry juice is that you start losing some of those ephemeral notes. You start losing the nuance and like the Maid Marian is a perfect example of like we use uh, puree and we use a juice both. And we use the puree during fermentation. So we ferment on the puree and you kind of extract some of those deeper notes, like the, the woody uh, character, the stem seed. You get the whole berry when you ferment on the puree. But we also wanted this to just be like, aromatic blackberries in your face so we actually blend in um uh blackberry juice post fermentation as well on this okay. and that's where some of the sweetness comes from and you end up balancing you know that uh blackberry acidity with the a little bit of sweetness mm-hmm. and it just makes something that's just like a, a joy to drink yeah um, that's i'm my first in- instinct was to call it a dirty little secret, but it's not really. Uh, of, of of cider making is, is back sweetening like that. Because you can get, you know, I've, I made cider one time and it was from Apples with uh, Warren, who uh, used to co-host on the show, but now it's just me. Um, where, you know, we, we went to Santa Cruz and we, we got a bunch of apples and, uh, you know, he he's more of an of a apple freak than I am. So I was like, yeah, whatever you want to do. Took it home, mat, you know, uh, macerated it, I guess, chopped them up, whatever the term is, uh, you know, pressed them. It was a whole thing. It was great. And we saved some juice specifically to back sweeten to not only add some of that sweetness, but that different flavor character, because like you're saying at pre and post fermentation, the, the, the juice tastes different. Yep. So you can, you can definitely add some more, you know, pre fermented juice in and do you soul fighting it? I guess you're treating it a lot like winemaking. Yeah. It's like a winemaking. Okay. Yep. Winemaking steps. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, but you're right, you know, and you just, you have to be intentional with what you do. Mm. Um, you just don't throw a bunch of juice in there, uh, you know, the same for everything. I, I know there's some people, you know, they, and again, it, there's so many different shades of uh, gray here, but like there are, you know, a number of folks who will like ferment a base and then they just, you know, might okay, blackberry concentrate and that one, raspberry concentrate and that one, and pineapple concentrate and that one. Right. And you just kind of like lose something uh, when you go about it in that like mechanical way. Whereas, um, you know, for this main Marion, we wanted to express the best of the Marion blackberry. For those of the listeners out there that don't know the story of the Marion blackberry, um, it's kind of a similar thing to what the Washington Apple Growers Association just did. They said, mm-hmm. we want a apple that identifies us and is unique to us. The Marion Counter County Cane, uh, Cane Fruit Growers Association or uh, whatever they were called, they, the farmers, they were like, well, we want this blackberry that um, uh, is large and easy to pick, <laughs> but also has wonderful... Um, 
you know, uh, flavor, like really fruity flavor. Mm-hmm. And then we also make sure it wants to hold up in processing. And they had all these different traits that they wanted and they went intentionally about breeding that. And, um, I think it was at, uh, Oregon state university here, you know, uh, and they came up with this blackberry, uh, so the Marion Berry, we we all here call it the Marion Berry, but it is a Marion Blackberry, uh, and it is about uh, three quarters uh, blackberry and one quarter, um, well, Logan Berry, mm. uh, and a Logan Berry is a half blackberry, half raspberry. So Jesus the Marion Blackberry actually has raspberry genetics in it. Okay, all right. Okay. Yeah, I've and, only ever heard it called Marionberry. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it is a blackberry and it just has the cool thing about it compared to like the evergreen blackberries or these other varieties is it's got so much fruitiness to it and that like what you're picking up like that jammy quality. Yeah. Um and I always think of it as having a little bit of like pinot character too. Ooh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's got these um higher notes to it and uh also higher acidity than other blackberry varieties Mm. so you really get that tangy punch from it and you know the marion blackberry is like the industry standard like the bar that is set when it comes to like what's the next blackberry variety is it going to be as good as marion uh forget about it because we got marion you know (laughs) right um and uh so anyway you know, we ferment on puree on this, but then we also add in post-fermentation because mm-hmm. we want to capture all the different parts of that Marian character from the high, fruity, uh, perfumey, like, Pinot notes uh, to the, uh, like, jammy sweetness and then that kind of woody character at the end. I mean, it's all there. Yeah. I mean, and you guys are Pinot country, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Willamette, I mean, Willamette Valley specifically. We were actually, uh, I was, we were talking to the, uh, I say we, because right, I had to have it. I was talking to the Ailsong guys last week. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and we were they talking bo- about They borrowed our bottler a couple times. Oh, nice. And we got paid handsomely in delicious, delicious beer. That it was so good. Is, uh, that stuff is very, very good. And, it, you know, it, it is a lot like what you guys are doing at two towns because you know they're they're making these farmhouse styles but it's not just like streamlined and we were talking about their uh, i forget now their sour beer they have a sour beer right and it's yeah. like you could you know a lot of sour beers are just sort of one dimensional maybe two dimensional you have sour and then you have some fruit and then whatever but their stuff is very complex in a way that's like there's a lot of different flavors that play together really well that's what this made marion cider is for me you you have that that jammy punch but like you said there's those lighter those lighter fruit notes the tannins do sort of they are reminiscent of of a pinot and then but you drink it and it's like fuck is it a cider is it just fermented blackberry juice i don't know it's just this weird like animal and it's 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 juice and it's very very good I'm glad you like it. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And so I was telling you before, this is my wife's favorite cider of yours. She absolutely loves it. It's just so dang drinkable. Mm -hmm. And it's um, like, I'm still like right now, as I breathe out, I just get 
I get this like blackberry perfume just filling my mouth. Yeah. And, um, like a syrup. You know, I, yeah. yeah. And, uh, I think, uh, again, like there's, there's about as much sugar in this as an IPA, you know, and mm. it's, it's, it's not that sweet, but there's a kiss of sweetness to balance the acidity. Um, just like you need a little bit of sweetness uh, to balance the hot bitterness in an IPA. And, um, it's just, uh, it's, it's been a fan favorite forever. So, uh, we're going to keep making it and it's definitely, uh, <laughs> in the hearts of a lot of, uh, people here at two towns for sure. Uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I went up to Corvallis to visit Dave and, uh, we stopped by your facility and I, I can't remember if it was you specifically or someone you guys were canning this specific cider Oh, and you just handed us cans. <laughs> and we just, you know, walked around fresh off the canning line. It was a really cool experience. But your your facility there, it, I think it was like an old office, like office, large office building, I think. Right. And then you had your facility. And then we went into this other half of the building and it was like the largest, emptiest warehouse in the entire universe. I'm like, you guys are planning to fill this area? I mean, you had like cubicle offices and, and you know, when I say office building, it was like office building, but all of this industrial space, it was sort of mind-blowing. And I was like, wow, I hope they can really fill that. Have you, you guys fill in that space or what? Oh my gosh. Uh, we have meetings weekly now about how do we get more space? Uh, wow. We have, you know what we got delivered Dude. actually just last week at in the middle of last week. So just a couple days ago, yeah, we got something like 20 different shipping containers uh, delivered that are now in the field just so we can have more space for our cardboard <laughs> our labels are blah, 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 because we just, we are filled to the rafters here. And our, like our warehouse manager is pulling his hair out. Like, you know, you try to order something in that's got like, you know, maybe it's like four drums on a pallet plus one more pallet that just has one drum on it. And, <laughs> and they're just like, Oh, like, how look at this waste of space. You've got a whole pallet space with only one drum on it, you know, because it's just, uh, space is precious we we are uh packed in here tight just yeah. trying to produce as much cider as we can god man. and i thought for sure yeah. for sure that it would take you 10 years to move to move that space not because of, you know for any reason because like it was a ton of space and it's hard to imagine growth like that but well, then you come... ta- but then you taste the product and it's like well yeah of course yeah we you know and when you come up next time to visit Dave, you can come back and see all the not space that we have. Oh, I will. Um, but, you know, the reason that we've been able to grow like this is I think, uh, you know, it's kind of twofold. First and foremost, it's our, I think our fans, the the craft beer drinkers that are out there. Yeah. Like we wouldn't be here today without craft beer drinkers and their fearless adventuresome attitude i mean like you you can't even believe how many like you know like over 50 wine snobs are just like nah, i'm not gonna try that (laughs) and how many you know under 30 craft beer people are like lay it on me you know like they're just craft beer 
people aren't afraid of trying new things and like we we just we wouldn't be here without the craft beer community um and we're very very thankful for that um you know to that point i will say like i i normally don't drink beers over six percent five eight that's like not my comfort zone at all i'm i'm like a five six boy and under which yeah. is why you were talking the low alcohol pilsners i'm like yes let's go let's just party and drink two percent pilsner until i throw up um but like but these ciders i could i could do that i would have no problem doing that and i don't know wh- i don't know what that is you know, I probably have to do uh, like the the big difference really uh you know is is cuz again, beers have so many different sugar contents um surprisingly so. Yeah. And um so do ciders and but the one thing I think that most ciders have that beer doesn't is that acidity um which just kind of it's a, it's a different thing, you know, mm. when you've got a lot of malic acid in there. Um malic acid is the you know what mollus domestica is the apple as we know it so malic acid is named after the acid that's found in apples primarily um, malic acid um and i i think that's just it's it's it gives it a different profile inherently um and then uh uh you know i it's uh it's it's its own thing but the great thing about cider is that it is uh, you know, you can consume it just like beer, uh, with the same things that you pair beer with, uh, it's very versatile and it's easy. And you have to remember cider always has been this like agricultural drink of the people. Um, you know, it's just was present on all farmhouses. If you, you had apple trees, you made cider. I mean, even if you really weren't (laughs) intending to make hard cider, uh, (laughs) if you press apple juice, you don't drink it all. It's going to turn into hard cider eventually. Yeah. Um, I mean, cause that's the story of beer that we know it today. And do you think there was more cider being produced on like American farms than beer at the time? Or, uh, I mean, I guess it's hard to say cause you can't time travel. Yeah. Well, no, but I think there's a lot of, of it like that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of evidence showing that, you know, um, like cider was America's favorite drink was the, you know, drink of the people just inherently because back then so much more of the population was uh part of agriculture, you okay. know, nowadays, right. you know, it's just a, a few farmers here and there and the rest of everyone else is, is you know in office buildings uh, relying on their food to come from the farms but <laughs> back then most people were out on the farms yeah growing the food and you know that's just that was just part of it um because we hear t- you know uh, george washington was a home brewer thomas jefferson was a home brewer. no one ever talks about these people making ciders and i wonder uh, if no you- oh, wait, oh, hold on okay they 100 percent do okay all right uh, tell me just thomas jefferson drank cider for breakfast Oh, what a what a what a real American hero right there. <laughs> Secondly, yeah. uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, as you may or may not know from Hamilton, was the ambassador to France. I haven't and... seen it. I haven't seen it yet. It's on my you list. You haven't seen it. No. You're gonna get so many people writing in now. But... Bro, I'm like okay. <laughs> I'm I'm behind that cultural curve 100 percent for yeah. no reason at all. Well, also if you remember from like seventh grade history. Thomas Jefferson was the ambassador to France. Oh, sure. And- <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows that. 
And uh, the uh, they the what he brought the Queen of England as a gift was the Newtown Pippin apple, um, which was an oh. apple that he grew on his farm that they said had you know there was no other apple like it in France, and he brought that over to present to her uh, because like that apple was so well renowned, and um, so uh, you know there is a. A lot of really interesting articles coming out now about um, some of the, um, uh, you know, the like the enslaved people that were on Thomas Jefferson's farm who uh, actually were the cider makers. And it's hmm. kind of this cool forgotten. Well, it's it's a forgotten history and it's cool to go look at and explore that there's a lot of uh, people of color who were actually doing the cider making um, um, back uh, in those times. And, um, so, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not sure, but it may be that a lot of the credit has gone to Thomas Jefferson for being a cider maker, but it was really, I think, uh, a lot of the, uh, indentured people on his property that were actually the ones making the cider. Oh yeah, sure. Um, Well, that's what, you know, when, when, uh, when Obama was president and it was like, Obama homebrews, that was all the articles. And it was like, well, the chef, but you know, and it's, it obviously it's not the same thing, but it's yeah. you know on the surface it's sort of like the credit goes to somebody else who's like, yeah, that sounds cool, man, do it. Uh, yeah, and um, so anyway, uh, but there there's definitely like this really cool history of cider making, mm. um, you know, throughout America, and um, uh, it, it's it's cool that it's coming back. And yeah. it's cool that home brewers have kind of picked up the, um, you know, picked up that torch and are running with it now. And uh, now we're seeing, um, uh, we're seeing like all these really cool farmhouse cideries popping up all over the country. Um, and uh, it's really expanding Americans' view of what cider is and like what it can be and we're also starting to break some bounds now too and pushing further like new styles of cider seeing regional differences come up i mean it's it's a glorious time and in cider you know yeah um at jupiter evans that was the um the name of the uh thomas jefferson cider maker jupiter (laughs) jupiter evans yeah Oh, yeah, man. if he uh, doesn't have a, a cider named after him, I don't know. I don't uh, know what what's wrong. <laughs> no, he does actually. Uh, yeah. I think it's um, I'm gonna get it. Is it Albemarle in Virginia? Uh, they okay. have a cider called Jupiter's Legacy. Oh, um, nice! And That's so you should awesome. check that one out if you're yeah. a history buff for sure. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, our last cider is the Bright Cider, and just cracked yeah. this guy and uh, it lends up to his name. I'll show the. Uh, the glass here in a second, but tell me a little bit about the bright cider, please. Okay. Well, this is awesome because we were just talking about Thomas Jefferson and his obsession with the Newtown Pippin. Yeah. Um, Newtown Pippin apples are what are used in this cider. Um, so uh, there's a it's, a, it's a part of the blend and it, it gives the cider a little bit of its backbone. I think without the Newtown Pippin, this cider would be a little bit more, um, uh, flabby probably. And, um, so that Newtown Pippin, um, 
if 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 you've never had a Newtown Pippin before, you can think of it as like an old school Granny Smith. Um, so like it, less sharp. It's a little less sharp. Okay, uh, but still of the character of Granny Smith. Got it. Um, okay. Just like you know how. Um, when you bite into a Granny Smith, especially if it's like at a like hotel, like you know, lunchroom or something, or <laughs> yeah. like those Granny Smiths that you see that are just super green and yeah. like perfectly round and room and temperature, you, <laughs> and you bite into it, and all you get is like this starchiness and like acid, yeah, and there's like nothing else, and you're like, this is not a pleasant apple, yes, like. The the Newtown Pippin is the opposite. It is what you could hope a Granny okay. Smith would be like. It's like a negative. Um, it's like a negative of that. Almost. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's so it's it's got all that acid. It's got that kind of like what might be described as like a green apple character, mm-hmm. but it's got a depth of character and like uh, a richness. And the really ripe ones can almost get a little bit piney. A little bit like a little bit piney and um so uh you know like the newtown pippin is like the vintage heirloom granny smith basically hmm. and um newtown pippin was um discovered in the late 1700s early 1800s um and uh, a pippin variety um, remember how we talked about finding that, like that seedling that was growing in the fence line, just wild. You found it. Yeah. That's the English name for a variety that you find growing from seed is called a pippin. And oh, so, okay. right. so Newtown Pippin was found in like Newtown Creek, I think. Um, and back then it was farmland in New York. I think now it's like, the middle of Queens, <laughs> but, <laughs> but back then it was farmland sure. and they found this apple just growing by chance and they called it the Newtown Pippin. Um, and, um, you know, there's, there's a more nuanced history for sure, but it was, <laughs> nope, that's uh, it. you know, <laughs> that's what it is scaled uh, up some, and then we're drinking it now. <laughs> some people, I, there also, there's the Albemarle Pippin, which may or may not be the same variety or whatever, but, like Newtown Pippin was iconically became like the apple of kind of the Eastern seaboard. Okay. They grew it in Virginia and that's where Thomas Jefferson fell in love with it. And it was like this held in high regard as this wonderful apple. And he brought it to, you know, uh, Europe uh, when he was an ambassador over there. And you can see how that apple has traveled from the late 1700s on the East coast across america with westward expansion and like the pioneers and everything and it ended up of all places in hood river oregon um and we actually were able to source one like it was a number of years back but we we got a bunch of bins like a a couple tons of newtown pippin yeah from trees that were 113 years old (laughs) i didn't even think apple trees could live that long Oh yeah, for sure. For Damn, sure. Dude. Um, I mean, that's like kind of reaching there, you know, that's the end. Well, that's, I mean, that's like grape, uh, grape vines. Yeah. You got some old yeah. vines ends out there, but they're producing apples. And so, you know, these pioneers came and they brought with them this, uh, 
like cuttings of wow. Newtown Pippin. Damn. And so there was a lot of Newtown Pippin grown in Hood River and also actually in um I think it was is it Sebastopol in California mm-hmm. down there. I think there was an yeah. apple industry down there. Yeah. And Newtown Pippin was like um I think I'm not sure if this is confirmed or not, but the rumor is that the Newtown Pippin was kind of the iconic taste profile of Martinelli's for a long time. Oh, um, and so uh, okay. a lot of people like on the West Coast as industry developed, like you know, into the you know, I I don't know, six fifty, sixty, seventies, whatever. Yeah, like Newtown Pippin was the high acid green apple that everyone used for pies. And like, mm. there's a number of pie companies I know that like, it wasn't until like the two thousands that they stopped using Newtown Pippins for their pies because they were like, this makes our pie or this makes our juice. And so it has always been known of having this depth of character and this high acidity and being a very special apple. Okay. What happened was at some point, and I, I want to say it was like the seventies. I'm not entirely sure. Sixties, seventies. Yeah this newfangled apple came along called granny Smith, which had more acidity and was a lot prettier. It was round and could be really shiny and very, very green where Newtown Pippin, as it ripens, goes from green to like yellow green. And so basically it was just people started selecting it because they thought consumers wanted a more green apple. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that, granny smith unless you're careful can be quite starchy and have a little lacking on the flavor side so it's marketing Um, it was it was this was the uh the pre-instagram influencer but still the same result of instead of uh you know yeah we we traded our our clear beer for hazy beer because of instagram we traded our our pippins for granny smith because of uh you know marketing instagram or whatever i don't know And so anyway, you know, they kind of fell out of favor and uh, we were looking for something that would like bring some uniqueness to our cider and uh, that would lend the depth of character and the acid content that we wanted. So we, you know, they're, they're hard to find these days, but we've got an orchard up in uh, like Wenatchee uh, that we partner with up there. And we just kind of were like, all right, just we'll buy the orchard, just, We'll take we'll take everything you guys what can you take. Got. And Damn. uh and uh so each year we get let's see if I can get this right. Two many oops, two eight times roughly, let's say nine hundred pounds a bin. So, you know, well over like a quarter million pounds of Newtown Pippin, like two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. That's wild. Um that's wild and, to me. Uh, yeah. So well, I, you know what else is wild is yeah. we get double that in Marion berries. <laughs> Jeez. And they're smaller. Um I so I gotta ask like when you when you got those two bins or or a couple tons of the of the hundred and you know something old tree Newtown Pippins, what was the flavor profile of those versus these kind of newer ones? Did it change at all or is it still sort of the same or was it uh maybe a little more reverence for the older ones because they were probably planted by someone who shares genetic material in the area. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we, um, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure if I ever did a side by side to do a, 
apples to apples comparison. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But um oh yeah. I didn't even know those puns were allowed. You just oh. wait. We're gonna keep we're gonna keep them coming. <laughs> For sure. The, the short time we have left here. All um right. yeah, I know. Uh but we did do a like a special cider makers reserve with that. And I think we did some barrel aging too. So then it's kind of hard to compare um you know do like a side by side with something that's not barrel aged with something that is and it had other apples in it of course uh but the one thing i remember about them was they they i think um a little bit more whiny you know like a little bit more aromatic okay. a little bit more um uh, that's probably also because we used it, it was a much drier cider that we made them in mm. um but when you when you get Newtown Pippins that hang, um, the cool thing about working with this orchard, um, like in order to get all the all the apples from one orchard, we're able to determine, uh, you know, within reason when they're picked. Um, and so instead of being picked maybe a little early, uh, for being like stored through the winter. Mm-hmm. We just, we, we let them hang as long as we can to get that flavor development. And actually those apples end up hanging on the tree um, into like where it starts getting maybe a little bit of frost. And like, wow. usually that's not like good. You want to pick, you want to pick those apples before they get any frost damage. Um, but since we know that they're going to be processed right away, we can kind of, and, and also they're just like a little bit less finicky than some of the new varieties. Mm-hmm. They're just a little bit more hardy, you know? So they just hang on the tree and we just let them hang, let them hang. And we try to get all the flavor we can out of them. Uh, I think one year we picked, like we always usually pick after, oct- uh, after Halloween. And one wow. year we picked like right around Thanksgiving for them. Jeez, um, man. And, you're pushing you know, most of the apples in like, you know, Wenatchee and Prosser and up there are picked uh like, you know, mid September to end of September kinda. So they're getting like wow. an extra month of hang time and um anyway, it's just like a cool thing that we can do and Yeah, it's neat that um, you can control that. Yeah, and, and we, people are willing kinda, to work with you like that. That's nice. Yeah. And so, you know, the bright cider it's, it's, we, we designed this to be like what we think like the epitome of new world, modern cider should be like, and okay. the, uh, the irony, right. Is that we're using uh, a small, a little bit of these old world varieties too, you know, <laughs> in it to make the best new world variety we can. But um, you know, that what it brings to the table is some backbone, some depth of character yeah. and um, uh, there's some acid, and, uh, you know, we ferment this, uh, clean, uh, we use a champagne yeast and, uh, we just, we just try to, you know, just let it be a regular old cider, you yeah. know, and that's and, what it, and, it is very tart and very bright and green apple. If you like green yeah. apples, this is the, this is the cider for you. Yeah. And not 100%. in a green apple, like Jolly Rancher way, Correct. but like a real apple that's fermented product kind of way. Yeah. And, and, and um, not even like a green apple, like we talk about in beer, right? Not like an off flavor, like, oh, green apple right. skin or whatever. No, this is like biting into a green apple of an undetermined variety. Right. Because <laughs> there is, there's a balance there and there is like a, you know, you get the meat, you get the skin, you get the aroma. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is, 
it's been great. And uh, I, I always, every year, I love like getting the stat reports um, uh, for the new towns. Like we, we monitor their sugar content as they ripen, you know, and then, and it's always fun to like watch the numbers keep going up and the weather <laughs> keep getting colder. And we're always like, Oh man, how long can we hang them? Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the danger, right. Is like, if there's a really cold snap coming, cause it can get in October, boy, you just, within a couple days, you can go to Oof. like, you know, well below freezing. Um, and you want to make sure you, you give yourself enough time to get the apples off the tree. Um, uh, additionally, like if there's a big windstorm coming, you know, you don't want them all falling off the tree or anything, Yeah. but luckily they they hang pretty well um so okay nice man nice i'm looking at your site now you do an apple brandy uh no am i reading that wrong pomo okay Uh, all right is that what you're looking at yes 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 so the pomo has a super interesting story behind it um so that is uh the easiest way to say it is that is an apple port um okay. i don't know if you or your listeners are familiar with like port wine but um yeah, a little bit basically you're you take you know you you take your grape juice you start fermenting it like you're going to start making a wine and then halfway through the fermentation while there's still residual sugar you dose in a bunch of grape brandy and then that halts the fermentation because you're bringing the alcohol content mm-hmm. from maybe like you know, five to seven percent up to um, like nineteen percent, yeah. And you you're basically killing off all the yeast, and then what do you have? You have this sweet dessert wine, basically, mm-hmm. um, that is fortified with some brandy, and and it's this it's port, you know, and you age it in barrels. Um, well, in France, in Normandy, they have uh, they do the similar thing with apples and cider, and it's called Pomo. And uh, another thing that you or your man- listeners may not know is that in Normandy, in the cider country there, that's also where Calvados comes from. Uh, Calvados is uh, a an apple brandy that is made in Normandy. Mm-hmm. And um, it is uh, world renowned, being very, very good. And uh, I was always curious of like when I went over there to like, see, well, how are they making the brandy and the cider? And it's funny. They, they, they kind of, it just, if there's a bumper crop or like they have too much cider, then they take that fermented cider and they distill it into brandy. Oh, we, you know, uh, we don't have enough cider. Well, let's, let's keep it, you know, as cider and we'll, we'll just, we'll not make as much brandy this year. Mm. And so it kind of comes with like how many apples they get. Now, if they have too much cider and too much brandy, what they do is they uh, put that brandy into the cider um, or the juice as it's just fermenting and they make this pomo. That's cool. And they age it in barrels. Yeah. And the really interesting thing is that uh, we were like, well, well we got to try doing that. Yeah. And we were like, because, you know, it's like the coolest, fanciest thing you can do. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's the and, reflection of being too uh, prosperous yeah. almost, you know. And and then we found out that it's like totally a 
redneck like backwoods <laughs> thing in France. Like it's only like old school farmers that are doing it, dude. What, and the- what is it about anything from France? Like you, you talk about something being from France, you you expect it, to, you elevate it, right? You put right. France on a pedestal, and then. But you find out you're like, no, man, what are you talking about? People with no yeah. teeth do this. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're and like, oh, so, shit. but it's French. And, it has to be great. But the, here's the crazy thing yeah. is that because it was kind of viewed as like this bastardization of both like brandy and, and cider, mm-hmm. um, it was actually illegal throughout, I think like most of the seventies and eighties in France. Wow. Um, and the weird thing is, though, is that it was so common and ubiquitous in like French farmhouses that it became a very common ingredient in a lot of French farmhouse cooking. Okay. Um, and so, like, if you look at a lot of these old school Normandy recipes that are heavily cream based, like they got a lot of cows there, um, like the secret ingredient is always a little pomo because mm-hmm. you're adding um flavor and you're adding sweetness okay um and uh but also like some of that perfumey alcohol lift and it's like a very common ingredient for a lot of dishes in france Mm. um and it was only in the last i don't know couple decades that they actually um legalized it which is a funny thing okay um, because it was like so backwards they were like no we can't have that and uh but now it's definitely this iconic thing and um so what we do we we do our own little northwest twist on it um we use of course instead of french apple varieties we use uh like uh new world apple varieties uh there's a lot of in the pomo a lot of uh, johnna gold uh we use some bittersweet to give some backbone in there too uh but you'll notice that our pomo is much higher acid than the french pomo okay also french pomo tends to be more like 15 or 16 percent our pomo is 19 percent because you know we're americans and we've got to do it bigger and better you got to Uh, (laughs) and um and we we age um our pomo in a variety of oak barrels um whereas in france they use like um basically uh the the very old spent like uh brandy barrels and then they age pomo in it and okay. then they actually flip-flop between their calvados brandy and pomo uh because some of that sweetness gets infused into the wood and then when you age your brandy it picks up some of that sweetness um hmm. but we're 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 uh using like smaller barrels and instead of the really large, like, uh, fooders or, um, I guess in France, like punchins or something like that, but, okay. um, we're using smaller barrels. Um, and we love getting like a lot of different stuff. We use some old Chardonnay barrels. We'll use some, uh, Sautern barrels, uh, all sorts of weird stuff just to like layer on the complexity. Right. Yeah. And when you start like you use this delicious fresh pressed juice and we add apple spirits in. And so these are like a high proof spirit that are, that are unaged. And, um, you know, at first it's a little bit harsh, like, you know, think about, you know, putting some high proof vodka into apple juice. It's, it's a little <laughs> bit just kind of like high school not, all over again. Yeah. It's high school all over again. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it, it, and, and the, the key to the Pomo is time. Yeah. It is time in barrel. And you okay. get 
this integration of the flavors and what comes out the other side is something truly beautiful. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, it's, you can pour it over like a little vanilla ice cream oh, if you want to get yeah, fancy. Dude. Yes, I do. Um, yes. if you, you take out a little, uh, you know, like a little, um, like dessert wine thing of it, like after, mm-hmm. after dinner, or if you want to like, you know, wet your appetite, you do it before dinner as like, <laughs> a, uh, you know, like, uh, like a, a pre-dinner kind of uh, and thing. And yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you usually pair it with something that's also equally strong in flavor, oh, okay. you know, uh, something, something really, uh, uh, pungent or something like that. And, uh, it, yeah, it's a fun thing. You probably don't want to drink the whole bottle yourself. It's kind of a share thing, you know, oh, 19% sucks. alcohol. Yeah. Well, it says like on, on your site, it'll age uh, up 20 years. Yeah. I mean, you How know, do you know? Uh, First it, of all. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, I'm just honestly, it hasn't away. been around that long. Yeah. So we don't uh, technically know that, but yeah. in France, you know, there's uh, stuff they're aging that's, yeah. you know, so old over there. And so we kind of looked at that and said, well, if you wanted to, you could age these and they just, you know, they're, they're going to change very slowly since they're not in the barrel anymore. Mm-hmm. But because they're such high alcohol content, like that's the deal with port, right. And things like right. that there, right. they can, they, they can take a long time uh, in, in bottle and, so, um, they're yeah. definitely good to drink now. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, there's enough sugar in there, um, because you're arresting the fermentation. Um, but over time, what you'll get is a lot of the more fresh apple character mm-hmm. will, will start turning the corner towards more like baked apple. And eventually you mm-hmm. get like, um, like gingerbread characters and this, this kind of like, uh, baking spice kind of like older, um, fruit leather kind of things coming out you okay. know, as it ages. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. That sounds good, man. Yeah. That sounds delicious. Well, so that's, that's the story of Pomo. <laughs> I like it, man. You do a lot of, uh, a lot of cool stuff over there. You guys check out two towns, com, and it's a great website. I mean, your website is very, very easy to use. And it's very informative. You get a lot of shots of what's going on at the at the location there and a lot of people in front of tanks, which is always good to see. But also, there's a cider locator. So you can figure out exactly where to find all of the two-town ciders in your area. Dave, thank you very much, man. I really appreciate uh, the time and the chat and, and the hang. It was a good time. I appreciate it. Was it was a good time. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you having us on, um, you know, and stepping out of the beer world to something uh, <laughs> yeah. a little bit different, you know? Um, That's but, us, man. Uh, yeah. Hey, next time you're up here, uh, you know, visiting Mr. Marliov, come yeah. come uh, knock on our door. We'll uh, we'll see if we can fit you in. You know, there's not too much space these days. But, no, it's uh, a one-in, one-out policy. Well, <laughs> We'll see if Dave's still alive by the time I get back up there. You never know with him. He's always on the edge. He's always always on the the edge. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, geez, with that motorcycle, too. I can't believe somebody actually sold him, you know, a motorcycle with that much uh, horsepower. Yeah, he has definitely a devil on one side and a devil on the other side of his shoulder talking to him. You know what you should do? (laughs) Be less risk adverse. (laughs) 
Anyway, Dave, Two Town Cider, thanks very much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, really appreciate that, too. We also really appreciate our sponsor, More Beer. You can go to morebeer.com, find everything you need to make great beer at home, or cider, or wine, or mead, or anything you want to ferment. Just ferment, whatever you want to ferment. You can do it at morebeer.com. Check them out. Thank you a lot, everybody. I appreciate you, and until next time, we'll see you. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. JP's an asshole, Justin's on my sky and winning the race, JP does great as his charity.